Welcome to 2020. Cannot believe, where did the last decade go? It just flew by, didn't it? Or am I just getting older? They say that happens when you get older. Maybe that's the deal. I don't know. But it felt like it flew by. And this is an important year. Uh, it's an election year. And you should be praying about those elections that God would, uh, would smile upon and direct those godly elections, that they would be godly and not disruptive to the unity of America. I hate when politics do that. Um, can you think back, though, with me to some former elections, some folks like Barack Obama, and uh, remember, he had a slogan. It was a vision, if you will, a vision statement. And remember what it was? He was out to bring hope and what? Change. And it captivated people's hearts. They got into it. They elected him president. Can you remember Donald Trump's vision, his slogan for America? Make America what? Great again. That's right. It captivated hearts and minds. It galvanized the people and he got elected. Now for a harder one. Do you remember what Hillary Clinton ran on? What her vision, her slogan was? Probably not many of you. Her slogan was Solutions for America. For whatever reason, it didn't captivate them. Didn't captivate the hearts and minds of America. Wasn't compelling. For whatever reason, she didn't get elected. But all this is to say that a vision, a godly direction for where an organization is going is absolutely crucial to the lifeblood of that organization. Without a powerful vision and people to live into it, the vision dies and the people starve for something, starve for meaning. So we, as an organization, we need a vision to energize and galvanize God's people. And here's the deal. If it is important for political gain, political organizations to have a vision, politics that are here today and gone tomorrow, politics that are temporal, how much more important it, is it for the body of Christ, the body of Jesus Christ, that is doing eternal things that will last forever, how much more important is it for us to have a vision that we all buy into and all live for under God's rule? Our church leadership one church leadership guru said that your vision is God's preferred future for your church. God's preferred future for your church. And now, St. Paul's, we have a vision. And it is to make St. Paul's great again. No, I'm just, just kidding. That's not it. That's not it. It is to be rooted in the past and yet relevance yet today. That St. Paul's would sow the good news of Jesus for all people. All people ought to be welcome in our church, and we ought to be ready to share the good news. That we are a church that cultivates servant leaders, servant leaders and servant ministers. And we grow neighborly communities. We ought to be growing neighborly communities. So four parts. I want to touch on each part just briefly. First of all, the blessing of St. Paul's and Anglicanism in general is that we have a distinctive role to play in Somerville. There are very few churches that are both biblical and sacramental at the same time. That's why we sent Tyler out to the ponds to begin to take a biblical sacramental church out there. That's why we sent Gary out four years ago across the interstate to, to go out there and start St. Timothy's. We are unique. We play a unique role. So we are called to be biblical, Anglican, liturgical, prayerful, joyful, uh, we're called to keep the church's calendars and pray common prayers. That's who we are. We're ancient, rooted, 
and yet relevant today in Somerville. Secondly, the good news for all people. The gospel went out to the ends of the earth on Pentecost, remember? The church grew like wildfire. And it went out to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Everybody was captivated by the gospel message. Did you know Anglicanism still today? Two-thirds of the 80 million people across the world are people of color. People of color. They're either African, they're Asian, or they're Indian. Two-thirds of our communion. And yet, look around you this morning. We are not a very diverse community. What can God do with that? How can we live into greater diversity? If you look at us, we are not very diverse, but God craves diversity in the body. Thirdly, cultivating servant leaders. My goodness, I want us to be, and we want to be, a church where every single person in the church plays a vital role in the expansion of God's kingdom here in Somerville. In other words, everybody ought to have a ministry in the life of the church. And I pray that over this next year, if you haven't a ministry that satisfies and delights you and gives you joy in serving the Lord, that you grab Kathy McGrew and say, Kathy, help me. I want to know my shape for ministry. I want to know my spiritual gifts. And then I want you to plug me into somewhere where I can serve Jesus. Cultivating servant leaders. Did you know that the Tea Room, one of our greatest ministries, uh, is now aging? Uh, We raise $50,000 every year for missions and ministry and outreach. And yet some of the people who were there at the very inception of the Tea Room are still there today. Their knees are hurting a little bit more than when they began. Their backs may be a little bit stiffer than they were years ago. But project that out. If we don't have servant leaders and servant ministers in the church, Tea Room dies. Tea Room dies. And with it, $55,000 dies. And with that, the gospel can't go forth from the church Fourthly, we want to embrace the art of neighboring. Well, we all read the book together in community. I hope that you've read it. We say it every Sunday. We're to love Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. Love our neighbors as ourselves. And yet, when I read that book, I realized that I don't even know my neighbors very well. I may know a first name here and there, but I don't know their children. I don't know their occupation. I don't know their hurts and their pains in order to pray for them. I just didn't know. And so... Vision is described as a solution to a current problem. Vision is a solution to a current problem. And I want to address that with you biblically. Uh, Nehemiah, our passage from the Old Testament today, he was a leader that led in around 444 B.C. It was a time when Jerusalem had, had fallen into ruins. Nehemiah and a lot of the Jews during the Babylonian captivity had been taken away. And so Nehemiah is part of that exilic group. They're in exile. But he hears that there's a problem in Jerusalem that needs a vision to correct it. Remember, vision is a solution to a current problem. So chapter 1, verse 3, we hear the desperate situation. These people had come up from Jerusalem for help, and they said to Nehemiah, the remnant of the Jews there in the province of Jerusalem who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Great trouble and shame. Why? Because the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. God's city, the city of David, now lay in ruins. And people were were coming in and, and taking stuff and ransacking Jerusalem. And there's a problem. It not only brought shame to the people, it was shameful for their God. 
So there was a problem. A vision needed to come in to solve the problem. So the solution is um, in three parts. First part is uh, Nehemiah goes down to his knees in prayer. Every vision of the church ought to be grounded in foundational prayer. We asked you guys a year and a half to begin to pray about where the holes, where the problems were in our church so that we could bring solution to those challenges. And you did. We met together in SWAT groups, little groups, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. We prayed together. Uh, we just dreamed together. And, uh, and God's been faithful. That's what Nehemiah did in chapter, two, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Nehemiah prayed, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Lord, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Laying a foundation of prayer. Uh, second thing that happens in Nehemiah is Nehemiah's heart gets broken for the things that break God's heart. Nehemiah's heart is broken for the things that break God's heart. Nehemiah is still far off in exile. He's now the second mate to the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. So he's the cupbearer. And even Artaxerxes, a pagan, not a Jewish believer, he sees the sadness, the broken heart of Nehemiah. And in chapter 2, verse 2, the king said to me, Nehemiah says, why is your face sad? Seeing you're not sick, there is nothing but sadness in your heart. He noticed that his heart broke for his people, for God's people. Thirdly, vision, gets, uh, vision has to be claimed and embraced by the entire community. Uh, it wouldn't have done any good for God to say, rebuild my walls, and only Nehemiah hears it and actually applies it in his life. It had to be embraced by the Jewish community by the greater body of believers. And we hear that in chapter 2, verse 17. Then I, Nehemiah, said to the people, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision and shame. Come, let us go back, rebuild the walls. It would have been nice just to say that, but it wouldn't have been effective he had to get the people involved. And that's what it says in verse 18. And I told all the people, I told them of the hand of God that was upon me, that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they, the people, said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work that God was about to do. Applications today. Three things. We must stay on our knees in prayer, attentively listening to the Holy Spirit, how to fix holes in our system and go from a good church to a great church. Secondly, our hearts have to begin to break for those things that break God's heart. As I mentioned, you know, the tea room, we, we need influx of new energy and new faces and new committedness or else it goes away. Just extrapolate it out. I'm just being absolutely frank with you. Ministries go away unless we all embrace the vision and get involved together. Does your heart break today that we're predominantly just a white middle-class church? Where are our 18 to 30-year-olds? There is a college right down the road from us. Do we have any ministries out there? 
Are we encouraging them to come and be with us and to engage in ministry? We've got a hole there. Remember, vision is the solution to a problem. What can we change? Well, let's dream together. Let's work together. Let's listen to God together. Just do the things that we learned from Nehemiah this morning. But we've all got to embrace the vision together. Kyle Eidelman wrote a book several years ago called I'm Not a Fan, Not a Fan. And his whole thesis in the book was this, that many Christians see the church as a football game or a spectator sport. We come to church and say, go Jesus, go Jesus. Yeah, we're, we're all on your team. Uh, we, we're fans, but we're not in the game. He said, God doesn't want a fan. He wants a disciple. And disciples find ministry, impact people's lives, help the church grow, have an expansive idea of the kingdom, and help us live into the vision. I hope that you'll do that. If you don't have a place of ministry, we'd love to engage you at St. Paul's. Bottom line is this. We are a good church. I love you folks. We are a good church with some fine leaders. I I saw somebody that you probably wouldn't have ever recognized uh, as a great uh, person of leadership, but you, you'll see her if you open your eyes to it. Uh, Hildy Melfi uh, was dragging loads of vines and trees and branches uh, all day long one day. And then next day, all day long, she was dragging trees. And, and then I went up to Hildy, I said, what are you doing? And she said, I just saw a problem. All these vines had grown into our azaleas. She's got blood running down her face. I don't know how old Hildy is, but she is tough as nails. Uh, <laughs> But, but that's just a, a, a servant leader who saw a problem, is willing to engage in it. Uh, Betty Black back there, she was engaged in our altar guild and still is in our flower ministry. And she was doing that work for 15 years. And she said, it's time for me to pass the baton to somebody else. And she's right. And no one should be asked to do 15 years of straight ministry. But unless somebody steps into that position... The church cannot function as a body any longer. We still need somebody to lead the altar guild over in the church building. It's just one of those things. For us to become great, we've got to step forward. Finally, the guru, Jim Collins, he's a business leadership guru. He wrote a book called Good to Great a few years ago. It's really good. He says in that, good is the enemy of great. And that is the one key reason why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools, principally because we have good schools. We don't have great government, principally because we have good government. Few people attain great lives, in large part because it is just so easy to settle for a good life. St. Paul's, do the things that break God's heart break your heart? Are you willing to, to step forward and be a kingdom builder, a cultivator of servant leaders, are you willing to bring the art of neighboring into your neighborhood? What, what are your plans? How are you going to affect your neighborhood with the aroma of Jesus Christ? You know, what are you going to do? How are you going to live into this? How are we going to become from good to great during the next season of this vision? Let us pray.